Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today I've got Andy Dolich along with James Cozumore, uh, sportscaster with the NBC Sports Crew. And I, Andy, I'm, I'm honored to have James on because we're with a true sportscaster. I mean, we're on a podcast, and uh, I think the two of us are amateurs compared to James and what he's done on his career. So um, I will let Andy introduce introduce him and uh, we'll go from there well first of all uh i've known jim cosimore right james it's like sure. andrew the only person that's capable of calling my andrew was my late mother calling me andrew was my late mother so i'm andy <laughs> uh jim cosimore as he's known to millions of grateful sports fans here in northern california and his really good friends call him Coes, right, Coes? That's fair enough. That's what it sounds like, Andy. You're right. Yeah. So uh, Coes and I had a chance to work together for several years uh, at NBC Sports Bay Area. He was the host of their weekly show, their daily show, which went weekly and went on for years. And when they ran out of good guests, I was asked to come in every once in a while and just had a great time. Um, but as we've tried to do in, in this podcast from the very beginning, is for the people that are listening, because everybody wants to be a sports executive, but everybody really wants to be a sports broadcaster. So yeah. could you take? Could you take a moment and talk about the absolutely simple, magical, high paying, immediately going to work for NBC? So if you could take the listeners from kind of the moment you might have even thought about this mm -hmm. to the point that you actually get paid to do it. Yeah, what that's was a that great one. That's a good question, Andy, because uh, you're right. It is kind of a fairy tale job. I live in the candy store of news getting to go to sporting events and get paid for it uh, is pretty funny to think of. It's even more funny as you get into the career and find people who complain about having to go to said games and get paid for it because there's that element as well. But here's a simple little route that it took me. I was an overnight success like most of us in the industry. Uh, I went to Michigan State University and upon graduation, uh, my dad said, do you have a job? And I said, no, he said, well, you better start looking. And so I did and I eventually came up with one in a little town called Silver City, New Mexico. But it wasn't to be a sportscaster, it was to be a country music disc jockey on a station called the Nifty 950. And they changed my name to Jim Cozy and I started spinning some records. And um, that's, that's where wear, this, yeah. I never knew this. Did you ever yeah. wear cowboy boots? I didn't, I did have cowboy boots, yes. I, so I, I guess I would say, yes, I did. They did try to country up the city boy. Uh, but it was, a, it was a great start. And the reason I took the job is that they allowed me to do high school football on Friday nights, and they had a local college, and I did college football on Saturday. And on Sunday, I played the Christian music uh, radio uh, music show on a disc that they were. So I was working seven days a week, but I got a chance to do games on Friday and Saturday, and that was my inroads to doing games and being a sportscaster. Well, Jim, uh, and, and, and as you made the transition from East Lansing all the mm -hmm. way to New Mexico, I would assume you drove. And, yes. And, Andy, and one of Andy's famous quotes was, how would you get there? And the response is, by car. Um, <laughs> you know, what were your thoughts going from East Lansing to all the way to New Mexico, uh, to Silver City? 
Yeah, it's a great question because Silver City has a town right next to it called Cobre. And the two towns are, you know, it's a good high school rivalry. The two towns combined, the population of those two cities did not equal the population of Michigan State University, which at the time was 42,000. <laughs> so it tells you how tiny these little towns were. Um, it, it's funny. It's, it's a, that's a great question, I'll tell you, because, Jake, I often think, because my mom drove down with me, and I often think as I put her on a plane to send her home, what she was thinking as her little boy was in this tiny town in New Mexico in an area that she, she couldn't find on a map if you, uh, if you gave her the complete Thomas guide. Um, but I was wondering what journey was going to be in front of me and what I needed to do to get ahead. And it's funny, where we lived, I would listen to the radio late, late, late at night because you could pick up stations from all over the United States, a lot of them on the West Coast. And one of them was in the Bay Area where I got a chance to listen to Golden State Warrior games. And I started to take a fancy to that team. And, and I always wanted to be an NBA announcer. Um, I, I'll give you a quick geography of where I went from Silver City, New Mexico. So I left there after a year. I moved to Connecticut to work for a sports marketing firm. But as part of that, a part of my job there, we acquired the rights to minor league baseball games and we put them on the radio and we hired broadcasters. So I went from Connecticut to Richmond, Virginia, where I was a broadcaster for the Richmond Braves uh, AAA baseball team. And we had Dave Justice and Jeff Blauser and John Smoltz on our team. I worked a year there. And then I went up to La Crosse, Wisconsin, where I worked in the CBA for a year. Then I got hired by another team in the CBA, the, uh, the uh, San Jose Jammers, and I worked there for two years. My time in San Jose led me to meet the people at the Golden State Warriors, and I met a guy who's been on this podcast, Todd Lewicki. He was in charge of uh, marketing and broadcasting at the time, and um, they needed a backup announcer for an announce for someone that maybe many of you know, Greg Papa, a great, great broadcaster in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, but he was doing so many things, he would miss games. So they eventually hired me to do some of their backup work. So from the Bay Area, I moved to Philadelphia when the 76ers hired me to be their radio play-by-play voice. After two years in Philadelphia, I moved to Chicago, my original hometown, uh, where I had a chance to work in radio and television there for a couple of years. But I missed the NBA. So after two years there, I moved to Houston, Texas to work for the Houston Rockets. I just missed the two championships. They won two championships, and then I went to work for them for three seasons. And uh, But we had a great time with uh, – they had the Akeem Olajuwans and the Clyde Drexlers and the Charles Barkleys, and Rudy Tomjanovich was the head coach. Uh, so from there, I kind of thought, you know, you gave the sportscasting thing a try, and you're not really advancing any further than that, so maybe you ought to give it up. And I was going to give it up and move back to Chicago to run a gardening shop with my sister, who was a master gardener. And I got an offer to work for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, and I decided to take it just on a whim to move to California for a couple of years. And from that point on, I've had some pretty nice success. I've, did, I've done some very good things. I've worked four Olympic Games now with the NBC Sports Group. Um, I got hired by NBC in the San Francisco Bay Area. And then, you know, I, I've had an opportunity to uh, meet and work with Andy Dolich. So it's been uh, nothing but success is what I would say at that point. Now, Jim. It- so, Jim, Jim, with the spring coming up, uh, we've had a lot of rain. If my begonias are not doing well, can I call on you? <laughs> you definitely I can. I did not know. I did not know. Yes. That you had that ability. Oh, I'm um, multifaceted, Andy. I like to keep a little secret for just everybody, you know, a little secret. Because I'll have to share with you in Calistoga, I have my own cactus wall. Do you really? I'll have to send you a picture this week and people go, 
I didn't know you were that talented, Andy. Like, well, it's pretty hard to screw up cacti. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, Jake, this is what happens. And it's great in life in the front office. So Todd Lewicki, uh, who followed Todd Lewicki at the Golden State Warriors when he took uh, the leap over the border to go to Vancouver? That would be me. Yep. Um, And then when Todd... Todd's had more jobs than me, Jake, I think, as you know. That's impressive. And he's he's up there in Seattle now with the unnamed hockey team that right. I have the licensing rights to the salmon, and Todd <laughs> is not happy with that. But, and, and then I, uh, then I went to Vancouver, uh, but I don't think I'll be going to Seattle. Um, and then Coase was in Philly many decades after I helped. Uh, the Sixers go nine and seventy-three, um, and and where was I the last three or four days, Jake, on our alma mater, old, walking a- down Fort Athens, Street Ohio. in Athens, Ohio, mm. talking to the future leaders of this business, and I was incredibly impressed. I know that I could not get into Ohio <laughs> University today if I had to. Uh, an incredible group of young men and women and you know Coe's just talked about it everybody just thinks oh you know hey I see Jim all the time and he's at Olympics and NBC and all that he just popped up doing that yesterday (laughs) and not like uh, Silver City East Lansing where what did you do and and all of this the other point Coe's because you're a quality family guy uh, a bit about that. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, you're doing this with a team of people. What were some of the challenges as you were in various postings, you know, using your voice to earn money for the family? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. And, and that's something that um, I, I will freely admit, it slowed me down in the process of starting a family. I really didn't start a family until much later in life. Uh, I had moved so much. You know, when you go Silver City, to uh, Connecticut, Virginia, Wisconsin, California, Philadelphia, Chicago, Houston, Sacramento, it's hard to, to take someone up and make them move along with you. So I consciously never really got into serious relationships. I didn't get married until I was in my mid to late 30s and started a family when I turned 40. Uh, by then, though, I had met someone who kind of understood it because my wife at the time was in television. So she got the idea of travel and she got the idea of moves. And so she and I could trust one another and she has been nothing but supportive. But Andy, I think that's a great question. This is a, this can be a very daunting profession if you're a family person. And if you aren't with somebody who's understanding of the challenges it takes, there are only so many of these jobs. And sometimes um, these jobs aren't in the same area or the region of the country where you'd really love to live. And so you, you have to be a bit transient and uh, I've been blessed to be with a, a wife who understands that. But it's funny. Um, I met her in one location. We've only had to make one move. So we'll, we, we would see if I would have to move a couple of more times that she'd be as understanding. <laughs> Jim. No, it's and, and I, I talked about that again. And, and uh, Jake uh, has yet. Right. You didn't get married since the last podcast. I don't think, Jake. No, uh, no. Confirm I'm, that to our listeners. No, I'm turning 25 next month. So uh, I think I got some time. We're OK. <laughs> and that is that is a key factor. And in speaking to uh, the future leaders of sports at Ohio U and all of these other programs, um, you know, you do have to make a conscious decision 
you know, with your spouse. And of course, in today's society, a family has many different definitions. Um, and it really is uh, a major consideration of who you're going to spend your life with and does your partner and your teammate and the kids understand that it's not quite as glamorous as it might see. No complaints, but there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of move in, in this. You do not stay in one place or one team for a long time, usually. Yeah, that, you know, that's an excellent point. And, and maybe we're blessed now in that, you know, we are a little bit older uh, as a family. My, I have three daughters. One's in high school and two are in seventh grade. But now my wife has her own career. And there are two opportunities out there that, that I am pursuing, but they would force me to move right now. And if that were something that were to happen, I'd have to take that into consideration. My wife has a job that she loves to do right now. So we just spoke uh, recently about, you know what, do we really need to move if I get an opportunity to do something else? Well, maybe not, because she also has this. You, you really have to be paired together with someone um, who, who, has, who has similar goals and you have to work together because I think, Andy, you and I have both seen a number of people in this profession uh, kind of circle the drain the time. This can be a draining profession, not just moves, but the amount of hours that go on. People think, you know, you must work for two and a half, three hours because and that's awesome because that's how long a game is. But, Andy, you know, two and a half to three hours, that's the last part of the day. You're still working the other parts of the day and people just don't realize it or see it. Yeah, I've always said that if you really want to understand what a sports career is like, go to work in baseball, either in the front office, sales or broadcasting, because when you think about and again, no complaint, but when you think about spring training, the season, hopeful postseason, you're literally talking 200 days of the year. And if it is a 14 inning game, um, at night, you're in the office at eight o'clock the next morning, or you're not going to hold on to your yeah. job for a yeah. long time. And those 13, those 13 game homestands, especially if your kids are playing or doing something in drama and you want to be there and there are family events, you have to go, oops. So it really is important to understand, as we've talked about before in LOL, loss of logo. You, you have to prioritize that your family is maybe more important than your job. And it does. Uh, it's very hard for some. And people Jake, Andy's that. absolutely right when he says use baseball as a litmus test, because when I got a job in 1988 to be the radio announcer with the Richmond Braves, you're talking about a triple A team. And I'm a young kid of about 24 at the time. You're thinking, wow, this is fabulous. I get to go to the ballpark every day for five straight months, 144 <laughs> games. And you think, who wouldn't want to go to the ballpark every day? That's not work. Well, I'm telling you, by game 60, when your only day off has come in Old Orchard Beach, Maine, on a rainy day, and you're holed up in a hotel that you're rooming with a trainer because no one gets their own room, it's not <laughs> as much fun as it seems. Now, some people, that's the life. But baseball is a great lit, uh, litmus test for that. And I think, I think Andy hit it on the head with that because um, – yeah. That is that if you can get through that and still have a smile on your face by the end of it, you know, you're made for somehow made for this industry. Well, Jim. Yeah. And a, bu a bus, a bus is yeah. not sorry, Jake, but a bus is not a G7 <laughs> or your uh, customized chartered no. flights on a 787, yeah. whatever teams are flying. Yeah. On you, these you didn't let, you didn't enjoy the 10 hour bus rides. 
Oh, the, the, the <laughs> great card games that you could play in that time. Well, you know, I, I, I was going to say earlier, so I was, a, I was a college baseball player, and we, we took buses all over California. I played in a D3 conference there, and the famous game was the name game. And so you had to have names from, you know, I mean, back in the 60s, 70s, et cetera. And you had to know them from all different sports. And I would almost think you'd be like the champion of the name game with, with, with how many teams you and games you've seen. Yeah, that's actually a fun game. You're, you're bringing back some good memories with that. And you, <laughs> you were with a wholesome team, I would tell you then, uh, if you were doing that, Jake. There's no question about that either. Um, but you do come up with creative ways. And by the way, when you're together for that amount of time, with 25 or more other people who have an awful lot of testosterone, whose livelihood depends on what they do on a daily basis. Hey, believe it or not, every once in a while, there are arguments that come up. And uh, those are always interesting to get through as well. It's not an easy, simple, uh, you know, people always say, hey, you know, I'd love to get into the industry you're in. How do I do it? Whether it's broadcast or sports business. And I say, listen, I said, boy, this is the greatest job in the world. I say, if you like working nights, and weekends and holidays, this is the career for you. And they always look at me with their turn their head sideways. But Andy, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, there are an awful lot of uh, whether it's a Christmas or Valentine's days or birthdays, you pointed out a kid's play. Um, you, you know, if it's if it's nights, weekends or holidays, I'm on call, baby, ready to go. Well, they put those in the job descriptions. too, yeah. right, Andy? Uh, I uh, not exactly, not exactly, Jake. And, and so, because uh, one one of the one of the questions that that I have is, in the most positive sense, have become a Swiss Army knife of broadcasting. He is uh, he is correct. I've had an opportunity, Jake, to do a number of different things. Whether it's NBA basketball games, whether it's pre and post game shows on radio or TV in the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, uh, college basketball games. At the Olympic level, I've done badminton. I've done curling. I've done shooting sports. I've done MLS, uh, Major League Soccer, play-by-play. Uh, I've done lacrosse. I've done what's uh, the um, – well, uh, now I've forgotten the name of this – luge. I've, I've broadcast luge, for crying <laughs> out loud. Um, you, you have to be available and willing to work anything. And I, and I know Andy used a phrase, Swiss army knife, and I've tried to massage that phrase in the past five years. I like to think of myself as a five tool player. And I try to tell that to other young broadcasters. Don't think of yourself as a Swiss army knife because many people in management take that as a, Oh, he'll do it. He'll do anything. No, you're a five tool player. And if you want someone to be professional, whether it's sitting behind a desk or whether it's going out to the game, I have that professionalism. Now, what does it take to do that? I think, number one, it takes an incredible love for what you do. We got into this business, whether it's on the business side or the broadcast side, because at some point in our lives, we loved the games. We might have played them. We might have sat and watched them. Never lose that joy. And then keep your curiosity. I don't know what it's like to slide down a lose track, but, man, I'm amazed at the athletes who get to do it. And my job is to sit next to someone who might have won an Olympic medal doing that very thing. How can I not be excited about getting firsthand advice on how to do it from someone who has done it at the Olympic level? So I kind of like to think that I kept my curiosity, a professional curiosity that leans a little bit towards still having a little bit of kid in me, but with the professionalism and the confidence to know that whatever job is out there, 
In fact, I, I kind of, I think at work, they get tired of me. I walk into my boss's office, it seems like weekly, and I say, hey, I know there's an opening for this. I want to do it. I want to be the first guy you think of to do it. Some bosses take that as you're being pushy and you're not happy with what you do. Other bosses see that as someone who's ambitious and really loves to work. You hope that you get that boss who thinks you're ambitious and really love to work. Well, Jim, how did you develop your five tools? I mean, did you at some point think, okay, I'm a three-tool player. I got to develop my other two tools. I mean, what, 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 what was that process like for you? Yeah, that's a great question, Jake. Um, I started just wanting to be a play-by-play announcer. I love doing play-by-play on the radio. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, you maybe start your five tools out of necessity. If you're at a college that has a broadcast program, they're not going to start you doing play-by-play of the, you know, the Syracuse Orange, or uh, you're not going to start doing the Michigan State Spartans. You're going to start running the board. And while you run the board, you do the updates. Every opportunity I had to get behind a microphone or to get on camera, I thought was a chance to get better towards my eventual goal of doing play-by-play. And so it was a little bit out of necessity. I just wanted the opportunity. And so anytime there was something that came up, I wanted everyone to know that I'm willing to do it. The next part was for me that I know a lot of other people want to be NBA broadcasters or Olympic broadcasters, and they might just say, I'm only going to do this. In fact, I found that out early in my career. I knew some guys in this career who started who said, well, I'm never going to leave the state of California. I would never go to Colorado and take a job there. And I always thought that's my edge. I'm willing to pick up and go somewhere, whether it's a small town like Silver City and do a secondary job or not. So it's, it's really a, an area of the, of the sportscasting world, Jake, where I realized the more I was able to do, the more opportunity I was going to get. And it just seemed intuitive to me. And so that's when I started to hone my skills. And I can't tell you the countless hours I sat in my room with the TV on announcing games off the TV or sat in front of a mirror trying to figure out how to stand and hold a microphone and give a report or sit behind a desk and do things. Uh, it was, it's always been a curiosity. I've loved trying to grow and get better at it. And I've never taken for granted that, you know what, I've done this long enough. Someone's going to realize who I am and that you're just going to give me the job. I've always kind of thought I've got to earn it. So maybe I hope that that's answered your question, but it's been a real fun ride to go off and do so many different things. So, Coz, now that I'm back, I just happen to be driving through the campus Mm. of Google. So they must have they must have had a Google antenna directed Mm -hmm. my way. But always been incredibly open and welcoming to young people who are trying to figure this out. How does that work? How do you deal with all of the individuals, you know, some on this podcast who are listening to go, hi, that was a great session with Jim Cosimore. I'd love to hear from him a bit more about my career. How do you handle all of the people that come to you asking that? I think um, I think that's easy. I would I always look at these. I'm amazed at interns who come through NBC Sports. I always want to talk to them and say, hey, what do you want to do? You want to be a sportscaster? You want to be a producer? You want to be an editor? What do you want to do? We used to have uh, days where we would let the interns do their own sportscasts. And I would come in on those days early just to watch them do it. Or I'd run, uh, I'd run the teleprompter for them because I was once one of them. And I, I think it helps me keep my fire watching them have their fire. You know, when we all got started in this and we all had these grand ideas and I was going to outthink or outsmart somebody. 
and we, we went to bed thinking about something and we woke up thinking about it. That's how I keep my edge, watching these kids who have that same fire. And the other thing that keeps me wanting to be in touch with those new broadcasters, young men, young women, and boy, are the opportunities there for women, young men, young women who come through our office or I get a chance to see out in the field. The other thing that keeps me going are the guys who didn't give me the opportunity. The one I remember the guys when I was at Michigan State who had a cool job. And I always I just wanted to ask them a couple of questions and they'd brush you off or I'd see them do a game and they wouldn't help the engineer clean up. And I thought, man, oh, man, what is that guy doing? He's got a great gig. And isn't it and isn't it ironic the way life works that many of those people are not working anymore? (laughs) They don't have jobs. And those that understand and you talked about it before, this is a this is a business of sports all about Mm -hmm. teamwork. And as it's become more complicated, some people are confusing analytics, metrics, meetings, uh, big data as the most important part of it. But what is, is actually the athletes that are doing amazing stuff, whether it's luge or, you know, alley-oop 360s. um, That's what people are paying for. And when you lose sight of that, it doesn't matter how many advanced degrees you have, it ain't going to happen. No, it's not. And uh, I've always thought it was important to have the human element, the human touch. And um, so that's for me, Jake, I mean, that's a big thing for me is to, to, you kind of have to remember when and why you started and what you were willing to do. And you see these guys coming up, these young men and women coming up. God, I love talking with them. I love sharing ideas. Just in the last couple of days, I've received three emails from college students who want to know how do I get involved in the internship program I can't wait to help them because I, I think it would be neat to see them grow in the industry and um, that's what you do I mean maybe Andy um, you've done this for a while I've done this for a while and sometimes you, you kind of you feel like you've been blessed as hard as you might have worked and you kind of want to leave something there well maybe my I'm going to leave something there is helping the next version of sportscaster in this industry which by the way is ever-changing and isn't the same today as it was when I got into the business. Yeah, Jake, I mean, Coase is so futuristic that I saw him having a conversation with a robot (laughs) in the office the other day. And the robot was asking Jim, how do you deal with nuance, you know, during uh, a fight at an event? And it was very intriguing in terms of how Jim was talking to that robot but it's not that outrageous that that's what's going to happen and which is maybe a bit of a segue uh it's not all success in the business there's failure you're told hey that was nice you got to leave now we're going in another Mm -hmm. direction my favorite um and you had some you had an after school project which turned into a business venture that really was dealing with the fluid that runs through the veins Mm -hmm. of sports, which we've talked about before, which is green. Um, The venture that you spent a fair amount of time and your partners developing, uh, which didn't exactly come out the way you wanted, but is fascinating and is going to happen in the future. Could you share that with the listeners? Um, The one thing that you have to remember, we all work in the sports industry, which for a large chunk of society is a hobby. They have to go to work every day. They need a release and sports is their release. When you work in sports, it's kind of hard to have sports as your release. So my release 
is investments or looking at business, um, seeing how different stocks work. Well, I was able to devise an, um, a, um, uh, an index that track. This had to do with sports, and sports is something I love so much. And I've always been intrigued by the sports business side of things. So what I did was I developed an index that tracked the different corporate partners of the four major professional sports leagues. So NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. And I tracked their stocks over a long period of time. And when one would drop, when a sponsor would drop out and a new one came in, I changed the index. And I found that since 2006 until today, the, if you, it, it, it was an index that we call the Pro Sports Sponsors Index. The index outperformed the S&P 500 by an amazing percent. It, was, uh, truly, it truly showed that if you were attached to a, a, corp, a league as a corporate partner, and you know many of them as Coke and Pepsi and Budweiser and McDonald's, big name companies, but some are mid cap and some are small cap who decide to get involved. Those companies tend to have an edge on other companies in their same sector. And I don't want to get too granular on you, but what we found was the attachment to sports is so important for fans. And there's been, there've been many research papers done on this that that attachment leads to their buying habits. And those buying habits, these corporations realize can help their bottom line. It may help it to a smaller extent, but overall it helps them in a large fashion. So uh, it was a neat project, Andy. And we, decided, we ended up developing an ETF, exchange traded fund based on that. It was called FANS at the time. And in the time we were up and running, we outperformed uh, the S&P 500. In fact, our one year return rate was over 17% in our one year anniversary compared to the S&P's, I think it was about a 14% return for the S&P. So while our technicals worked, we just weren't able to keep the company up and running as long as we had hoped. But it was unique for me to see if you're someone in sports business, and the question is always ROI, what's your return on investment? There are companies out there who realize the attachment to sports is enough return on investment to help their company overall, and that also helps in their stock price uh, and it's a unique function. We, we also found, and I'll just close with this, we found one other similar index that used naming right partners for stadiums and arenas. And they had a three-year window of uh, where they checked the stock prices. And if you would have only invested in the companies that were the naming rights partners for stadiums and arenas of the four main leagues, you would have outperformed the S&P 500 as well. So attaching your, your brand to a major pro sports league is good for the bottom line. Fascinating. And I, I actually looked at that FANZ stock ticker symbol a while ago. So huh, very, that's funny. very familiar. Yeah. 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 Friend it, had it, brought it up to me. Yeah. So. It's a really interesting theory. And there are a number of different things out there that you can, uh, uh, you know, you can invest in. But this was a large cap blend ETF that the, the technicals worked incredibly well. It's just a matter. You know what? It's just like in the business of sports, Andy. You might have the best idea in the world. But if you can't sell it to anybody and if you can't uh, convince someone that it's going to work for them, it might be the best idea, but it's going to sit on your desk for uh, longer than you want. So, Coz, are you telling me that my equity share of fans is not going to be able to get me that fully equipped fishing <laughs> boat that I always talk yeah. about? Is that? It was close, me, Sandy. It was very, very close. I will say that the return, again, we we're very happy with the return. Again, we, it, it, it is a costly venture, and when you're a small shop, it's just hard to keep it up and running. But to go through the process of launching something after you, you created an index that's never been looked at, 
you know, it's, it's really interesting because we, we took out all the different leagues individually and then you put them all together and there are roughly 70 corporate partners. The NHL corporate partners in our initial index outperformed all other sports leagues and how well they did. How, how interesting is that? Their percent return was higher than any other sports league. And this was in our beginnings that we did the research. We went back to 2006, and I think it was a 10-year span that we did. But the NHL partners were extremely good in this scenario. So, Jim, you're, you're close to the Sacramento Kings. And, of course, they're in the Northern California market with basketball's most magical carpet ride, the Golden State Warriors. Although, how about that Dwayne Wade? Uh, I don't know where that shot came from Horse game uh, a little a little bit about the kings they seem to be putting a heck of a team together the golden one center is really special i've been there a few times uh what do you see and are they definitely moving in the right direction that yeah they i'll tell you this be? is an organization that has been and it's you know safe to say they've been laughed at for a number of years and even some of their recent moves that were laughed at we're now starting to see them work out in their favor. Now they've also had a little bit of luck along the way, but I think all organizations who end up doing well need a little luck along the way. And then you need to cash in on the luck. If you go back to when they had DeMarcus cousins on their roster, there's no question. He was their best player and arguably the best center in the game. Even if you say he was one of the top three centers in the game, you knew every night you had a win, but it wasn't a win for as long as he was on the roster. And Vladdy Divac had to make a decision what direction he wanted his organization to go. He decided to make a trade and got Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald was a guy who was a four-year college guy at Oklahoma, and no one knew if he was going to be a great player. Um, but he has really come a lot around to the point where there were serious uh, thoughts that he could be an all-star this past year in the NBA. He has uh, become a very good player. The face of the franchise is De'Aaron Fox. Well, the Kings drafted him at number five in the first round two drafts ago when they got lucky in the lottery and they were able to move up inside the uh, top five picks and they end up having a guy fall to them. Four teams passed on him, including the Phoenix Suns. And if they need anything, they need a point guard. But they decided to pass on him, so the Kings got him. Then the Kings got lucky again in a lottery. You get a little bit of luck, now you got to make it happen. They draft Marvin Bagley, and he looks like he's going to be a very good player in the future. So they've had a little luck. They've got a lot of good, fun, young players, and the head coach, Dave Yeager, has them playing a fun brand, guys. And I'll tell you, if, if you're an NBA fan, take your team out of the equation. If your team's not playing that night, a lot of NBA people will tell you they gravitate to, towards watching the Sacramento Kings just because they're a fun team the way they play the game every night. So it's been exciting to go to Golden 1 Center. Jim, I, I'll segue real quick. As Pat always talks about the fun business, and you just mentioned a fun brand of basketball. What's what place and stop along the way have you had the most fun at? Boy, that's a good one. There are I'll probably cheat and give you a couple of different definitions of it. <laughs> um, you know, the first time I had fun was the first time I sat in a chair doing an NBA game. I was at, you know, the uh, at the time, Andy, I think it was the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum Arena, I believe was the official name of it at the time. And I'm sitting in a chair and Al Adels is my color analyst and David Robinson and Terry Cummings are on the floor with the San Antonio Spurs playing the Warriors. And my dad's in the crowd listening on a radio and I get choked up now. Um, uh, that, that was just, gosh, it was so much fun. It was so pure. It's the first chance you get a, you know, you're a kid still and you're doing a game and you've realized your life's dream. Uh, that was a level of fun. And then as you move along, 
Um, there are different versions of fun. I think uh, one of them was moving to NBC eventually and getting an opportunity to to host my own show, a nightly show that Andy talked about when he was introducing me. I I haven't had as much fun doing one thing in my career than I did doing that one show each and every night because it was different every night. And one thing about my DNA, Jake, is that I like to be challenged and do something new every day, whether it's talking about sports and the law or sports business or what the Giants A's or 49ers are doing. We had a fun night every night. And so uh, I know I've given you a couple of answers there, but well, I'll tell you another one, doing the Olympic Games. How does that not uh, come up on a, on a fun meter for you? That was you know, to sit there knowing that your whole life you would, you know, every other, you know, every two years because they stagger the Olympics. Now you'd watch these games and now here you are getting an opportunity to call it. And it doesn't matter the sport. Maybe you're not doing track and field or, or Olympic swimming. Maybe you're doing badminton or curling, but man, it's a ton of fun. And that's just it. Maybe that's the point. Whatever you get a chance to do, you can make it the most fun thing you do because this career can be so stinking exciting and full of surprises, twists, and turns. So uh, I wish I could give you one answer. Hey, Coach, do you, yeah, Coach, do you think we could take that show on NBC or Comcast and make it like Johnny Carson or the Dean Martin Roast and bring it back in 10 years? Maybe um, not, huh? You know what? I, I, I think that there's a place for it. I know the media landscape is changing and how people get information or get their discussion or get their news is has changed and the and their their attention spans quite frankly have changed how many times do we sit down for a full hour and watch a conversation about sports or pick your topic it's very rare and becoming more and more rare but i think andy there is room for it because there are so many platforms we tend to think well there's so many platforms and everyone wants little bite-sized pieces well there are so many platforms maybe some of those could be bite-sized maybe some of them can work a little bit longer or more traditional um I wish we could do it again. I think it was a. I think it's a fun format. Yeah, well, we'll keep pushing. So, Jake, as as you take us home to the end of this episode, uh, what should we know? Jim, you know, we we uh, as Andy mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I think you could talk for about five hours. So, <laughs> I, I would love to have you on again, and uh, for a future episode, we could hit on a lot of different things. Um, you know, from a, a podcasting perspective, has that ever been a thought uh, uh, in your career? Yeah, it has actually. And, and um, I've actually kicked around a couple of different ideas. Well, you know, one was a sports and business like uh, conversation, but you guys clearly have that market cornered. So there's no way I would attack uh, anything <laughs> as, as vast as what you guys have tried to do. Uh, but there are other areas, including, you know, like you were asking me about getting into the industry or what do you do in these circumstances? I would, I would like to be involved in a podcast or some type of communication that helps young kids answers questions of new broadcasters. How do you handle this? What do you do this uh, with this? Because it could be just as I think, even though you're hosting a podcast, you could learn just as much, but I've thought about the podcast industry and uh, my space in it. And and maybe one day we can attack it, but I'd love to be on again, Jake. I'd love to be on again because I love these, formats and I think they're great free form to do. Absolutely. We'd love to have you on again. I know Andy would as well. And uh, we, we just surpassed 5,000 listeners the other day. So um, continuing to grow, uh, please share life in the front office with your friends and colleagues. Um, we have our website up life in the front uh, We are looking forward to having more 15 minute Friday episodes 
Um, and Jim, as always, if, if uh, people want to reach out to you uh, for, for help on how to get started in the industry, where can they find you on LinkedIn? Yeah, you know what? That would probably be the best place. Go to LinkedIn. You can find me there. And again, it's Jim and it's K-O-Z-I-M-O-R, Cozumore. And I'd love to interact with anybody if they have any questions. In fact, I'll tell you, I'll probably bounce back more questions your way just to find out more because I'm always looking to find out more uh, ways to do things or different ways to do things. But I, I'd certainly like to interact with anyone who would enjoy doing that. Well, it sounds like a lifelong learner. Coach, do you think, Coach, do you think we can give Jake uh, the honor of now calling you Coach from now on? You're in on? the club. Now You're in the club, club Jake. Now that, I, now that I started off the episode calling you James, I think I'm going to sign off by uh, saying thank you, Coach. That's the best way to do it. Jake, anytime. I really love doing this. And thanks to you guys for doing this. I'm enjoying listening to the podcast and I've learned an awful lot about the industry.